I started a sermon series on the book of Daniel and going to continue that today. Uh, today is our fifth Sunday in the book of Daniel and uh, going to be looking into J Daniel chapter 5 today and, and I'm going to do this. This is the second sermon in this series that I've told you I'm doing a little different so I'm going to do this a little different as well today than my normal uh, straight up expository sermon series. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 5 and I'm going to read verse 17 and I think I may, uh, they don't have that on the screen, but I'm going to start with Daniel 5, 17 through 30 and then we'll get back and tell you the background of all this. But Daniel answered the king and he said, keep your gifts or give them to someone else, but I will tell you what the writing means. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent write this message. This is the message that was written. Many, many, Tekel and Parson. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the day of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. So today I want to preach just for a little bit a tale of two kings. A tale of two kings. You're probably familiar with that phrase, A Tale of Two Cities, a book by Charles Dickinson. And you may not be super familiar with the book itself, and I, I'm not very familiar with it, but I, I do know enough to know that it, in that book, the, the two cities that are being looked at are London and Paris. 
And at the particular time when he writes about this, these two cities, it is during the French Revolution, which started in oh, around 1789, I believe, and where the masses of France decided that they wanted to overthrow the monarchy and get rid of all the nobles and anybody who was friends with the nobles. And as they, they began this coup and began to take over the government, they went through this mass execution of anyone who was a noble or anyone who was high-ranking or anyone that was part of the royal family. And because of that, because of what was going on, then the nobles were fleeing to England to try to remain safe and trying to get out of the country. And it was people of all walks of life that were involved in this. And it was no greater pleasure than they had but to send these people to the to the gallows, not to the gallows, but to the guillotine to see their heads chopped off because of the oppression that they felt like they had received at the hands of the French monarchy. It was, as he says, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was a great time in London as the people of England... I'm going to change mics with all kind of interference. The people of England... We're happy. Things were going great for them. No problems. All they had to do was party and have a good time. But the people in France, it was a time of turmoil and a time of death. So he writes this book and contrasts the two cities. Now I use that just to say this, that contrast, as they say, is the mother of clarity. That when you compare and you contrast two different things and it gives you a glimpse of the subject matter at hand and so because of that I want to take a look at Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar and contrast what happened with them and the punishment and the judgment that God gave upon them and we're going to pull out some things about God's judgment. Before I do that though there is another story in the Bible. It is Acts chapter it is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You may not be familiar with Ananias and Sapphira, and so now I'm going to tell you this story, but if you've never heard it, be not afraid, okay? But Ananias and Sapphira, they decided that they were going to sell the land that they owned. They had, they had a, a lot of land, and in this particular time of the, the early church, people were taking their houses and their lands and all of their possessions, and they were selling them and giving all of their money to the church. Now let me pause here and just say this, that there are places in the Bible that are descriptive, that tells us and describes what took place, and then there are places in the Bible that are prescriptive that tells us what we should do. This is one of those descriptive kind of things. There, there is no admonition by God anywhere in his word that we should take everything we have and we should just give it to the church and then the church will give it back to us. So be not afraid of that either. I'm not asking you to go out and sell stuff today. But because there were so many in the church that were doing that, Ananias and Sapphira decided they wanted to get in on what was going on. And so they took the land and they sold the land but they made an agreement that they were going to not give all of the money to the church. They were going to keep back some of the money, which was perfectly fine. They didn't have to do that. But they decided that they would lie about 
how much they had sold it for and the amount of money they were giving to the church and laying at the apostles' feet, they decided they were going to say that was the totality of what they had sold the land for. So Ananias comes in. He has this money. He lays it down at Peter's feet and said, we sold our land and this is the amount of money that we got for it. Peter, getting a word of knowledge from God, says, you have decided to lie to the Holy Ghost. This is not how much you sold it for. But you made an agreement to lie not just to me, but to lie to the Holy Ghost and and to try to tell the Holy Spirit that this was all. And God strikes Ananias dead right there. A little bit later, a few hours later, Sapphira comes in doing the same thing. Peter explains to her what he said to Ananias, and God kills Sapphira. She falls over dead because they had decided to lie to the Holy Ghost. They thought what Peter said, you were, you're not just lying to me, you're lying to God. You thought that you could fool God, and you thought that you could lie to God, and God wouldn't know. If you've not been here before, that's the train of judgment coming through. No, I'm just kidding. And people look at Acts chapter 5 and they get afraid of, well, man, what happens to me? Is that judgment that God just instantaneously gives out to them, am I in danger of that? Now, I would tell you this, that that is the only place in the New Testament that we see anything of that nature take place. And it's not that God couldn't do it again. I'm just not sure that God will do it again because he hasn't done it again. But it was an example of his judgment that when you, you decide you want to try to lie to God, when you think that God is, can, is just re- relegated to the same human knowledge that everybody else has and that you can pull the wool over his eyes and you can confuse him, you have already missed the point that God is everywhere at all times and that he is omniscient, he knows all things. They missed their understanding of what God was. But I bring that up just because it is a passage of judgment. And so the questions that I would throw out for you that we'll answer in the, the remainder of this message is why does God send judgment on one person and not another? How can we be found not lacking when God does indeed judge us? And, and how can we ensure that we honor God in our lives? Those are important questions, and this message, I, I really, to be honest with you, I, I wrestled a little bit with this message, and because the message, unlike last week, where there was judgment on, on Nebuchadnezzar, God restored him, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but with Belshazzar, there's no restoration which means that if I'm preaching the passage of Scripture, if I'm preaching chapter 5, then this is a message proclaiming God's judgment, which is not a message that leaves you going, boy, this is great. This is is a wonderful, happy time. And I'd much rather leave you with the feeling of, of a good, happy time instead of a message of God's judgment. But it is the Word of God, and I'm going to preach it with as much grace as I can. In chapter 5, we see that Belshazzar is the new king. Nebuchadnezzar has passed off of the scene. 
The passage actually calls Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar six different times in Daniel chapter 5. The reality of this is that Belshazzar is not his biological son, but it is a kingly succession that makes him the son of Nebuchadnezzar. That his father, Nebuchadnezzar, or a previous king, that's the way Daniel refers to them. This is part of that Babylonian type understanding. In fact, some 30 years have passed from chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar is driven out of the palace and into the field and he loses his mind for a period of time. 30 years have passed since chapter 4. Now we're 30 years later and it's approximately 539 B.C. Daniel is in his late 70s, most people would say at this particular point in his life. And in between Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, there was a king called Nabonidus or Nabonidus, however you prefer it to be said. We'll go with Nabonidus. That he ruled and reigned Babylon in between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And some would say that Belshazzar is really the actual son of Nabonidus, but in the kingly succession, all who went before that were considered his father all other kings. And so, just, just a point of information for you. It's not important except that you think that Belshazzar is the biological son of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the setting. Belshazzar is king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has passed on the scene. Nabonidus has passed on the scene. And he decides that he's going to have a great feast. It's what kings do. They give feasts. They have They sit around and they eat and they drink and they be merry. But he decides that not only is he going to have a feast, but he is going to take and show everybody how awesome he is by taking the instruments of worship from other gods and using them at his party. So he sends people to retrieve the vessels of the temple of Yahweh, the temple of the God of the Jews to get the the cups and he brings them into his party and he fills them with wine and he begins to drink the wine, dishonoring, in essence, dishonoring God. And then out of nowhere, a hand appears in the air and begins to write on the wall. I don't know about you, that'd probably scare me to death. He sees this hand. Everybody sees this hand writing on the wall, and it writes the words, many, many, tekel, parson. Depending on the various translations of the Bible, they interpret that last phrase, parson. Sometimes it says you, farson, but parson. He writes it on the wall, and Belshazzar is wise enough to know what the words mean, but he doesn't know what the word means. And by that I mean this, that he understands that many is a coin. It's a, in fact, you see it various places in the Bible as a mina, M-I-N-A. It's a coin. And parson is also a coin. It's a half coin. 
He understands what the words means, but he doesn't understand the interpretation. And so he calls Daniel. He's looking for somebody that can interpret it. Somebody says, hey, there's this old guy that has interpreted dreams, and he can tell us, maybe he can tell us what it means. So Daniel gets called in, and Daniel, he's told, Daniel is told, he said, if you can interpret this, I'll give you a lot of stuff. And Daniel says, you keep all your stuff. I don't need your gold, your silver. I don't need any of your stuff. But I'll tell you what it means. So, of course, he tells him what it means. And he says, you have been found. You have been weighed in the balance and you have been found lacking. And he says, this night the kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians, it is that compound group of people that was prophesied back in Daniel chapter 2 that would follow the kingdom of Babylon. It is that after the head of gold, it is the, the chest and arms of silver that God gave the vision to, or the dream to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. And the passage ends with that night Belshazzar is killed. We can read of how it happened that in the middle of Belshazzar's party, when everybody's supposed to be watching and keeping an eye on the enemy, they dug a hole under the wall and came in during the middle of his party. The armies of the Medes and the Persians came into Babylon and they overran Babylon that very night. So here is now the meat of the message that I want to preach to you today is this, this idea and this comparing and contrasting of Nebuchadnezzar's judgment in chapter 4 and Belshazzar's judgment in chapter 5. Because there are significant differences between the two. The first thing is this, you see it on the screen, is, is this, that judgment is not always equal or uniform. That God's judgment is not always the same. In fact, the Bible would tell us that judgment is quicker and worse on those who know truth than those who do not know truth. If I look at Nebuchadnezzar, he had no reference for honoring God. God had used him, God had raised him up to rule the world so that he could punish Judah, that he could punish them for their sin and their disobedience to God. And he, of course, does that as he takes them captive into Babylon. He destroys the temple in 586 B.C. But he has no reference for honoring God. He serves a multitude of gods. And so in chapter 4, whenever he finally lifts himself up in pride and says, I deserve to be worshipped and look at all that I have accomplished, God doesn't send judgment and just kill him. God sends judgment and says, because you have not honored me, I am going to punish you. And he drives him out and he's lost his mind. But Daniel said, to Belshazzar, you knew what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew all of the things that had happened, and yet you still chose not 
to honor God. And in fact, not only did you choose not to honor God, but you chose to dishonor Him by using the instruments of worship to God and use them in a debased way. You chose to pull them in and, and to do things in a way that was dishonoring to Him. And there is a difference in honoring or not honoring and dishonor. The Nebuchadnezzar didn't honor God, but Belshazzar dishonored him by drinking from the temple cups. The Bible lets us know that people who experience God are held to a higher standard. When the Jews rejected Jesus and refused to turn to him, Jesus proclaimed judgment upon them. In fact, he said in multiple places in the Gospels, he said, it will be better for Tyre and Sidon, two ancient cities that God judged. He said, it will be better for them in the day of judgment than it is for you, because had they seen the miracles that I've done, they would have repented. In another place, he said, it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, who were wiped out because of their homosexual uh, lifestyles that were running rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, it will be better for them in the day of judgment than for those of you who heard me preach and refused to listen. And all I can tell you is this, is that judgment is not always equal. And so Belshazzar, who had a, he had the history of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and he chose to ignore all of that. So when his judgment came, it was worse. We see this throughout the Old Testament. The Jews always being chastened for their disobedience to God. God is, you never see God punishing other nations. Or almost never. Unless he's trying to then release his people who have been punished by him out of their captivity. Nineveh is an example of this. God is going to send judgment on Nineveh. But he doesn't really want to send judgment, so he sends Jonah to go and proclaim the message of destruction so that they will repent. And after they repented, judgment held off for a hundred years. But judgment is not always equal. I forgot to start my timer. I better hurry. The second thing is this, that judgment increases as sin increases. I've already mentioned Nebuchadnezzar didn't honor God, but Belshazzar dishonored him. That what Nebuchadnezzar did, as it were, in moderation, Belshazzar did in excess. Not just going to not honor you, but I will actively dishonor you. The second law of thermodynamics tells us this, that things go from good to bad. Or from bad to worse. They never get better on their own. It's the same way with people. That what one generation will do in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. What one generation allows that's outside of the word of God, the next generation will not only allow it, they will celebrate it. You can read between the lines if you look around our culture and understand what I'm talking about as you see the progression of our culture going from somewhat Judeo-Christian values to now God is getting pushed to the outside. It is the natural progression that people do. 
Cain and Abel. What Adam and Eve did by disobeying God, now Cain kills his brother because he doesn't like the fact that God rewards Abel's sacrifice. The flood, the result of continued debauchery to God, the Bible says it repented God that he had made man because they continued to get worse. The Tower of Babel, the precursor to Babylon, as the people once again refusing to follow God and deciding that they're going to build a tower to the heavens. And, and I would just throw this out here for you. It's not necessarily they're trying to build a skyscraper. But they're building what many would say is a, a ziggurat. It is a temple of pagan worship that will communicate with the heavens. That their goal is not to worship the true God, but their, their goal is to reach the heavens with another God or whatever it happens to be. And God says, if they're all unified, there's nobody to stop them from their wickedness. And so he confounds their language at the Tower of Babel. And it, in fact, it is the Tower of Babel and that location that is the precursor to the Babylon that we're writing or we're reading and studying about today. It was the pattern of the Jews as they would serve God, and then as that generation passed, the next generation wouldn't serve God. It is the pattern of our day that immorality and sin is running rampant, and people increasingly reject God. So what I would tell you with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, as the sin increased, the judgment increased also. Thirdly, this is where you and I can begin to find hope. That judgment is only suspended through repentance. After being in the field, Nebuchadnezzar repented and turned back to God. He repented of his pride. He repented of his arrogance. Belshazzar he didn't repent. You may say, well, God didn't give him an opportunity. But he could have repented at the moment of judgment being proclaimed. But he didn't. Two other kings in the history of Israel, Saul and David, both committed egregious sins against God. But the difference between the two is that David repented and Saul chose not to repent. Then when Saul confronted with his sin, he said, well, just make me look good in front of the people. When David confronted with his sin, he repented. Repentance is powerful when we turn from our sin, when, when God pronounces judgment and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't realize what I was doing, or maybe I realized, but now I know I shouldn't be doing it. That when we get on our knees and we ask God for repentance, it is a powerful thing. I just referenced Nineveh, that when they fasted and prayed for three days and repented, God spared the city, 120,000 people plus animals. He spared the city for 100 years. Repentance. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, he could have died there, but he repented. Peter, denying Jesus three times, 
chose to repent. Judas, sorry that he betrayed Jesus, but he didn't repent. Repentance is important. The Bible tells us that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. To paraphrase it another way, where there's a lot of sin, then God gives a lot of grace. But the grace is not an automatic That God doesn't just say, well, I think I will overlook your sin. No big deal. No, but when people turn to Jesus, those people who don't deserve forgiveness, those people who don't deserve for Him to wipe away their sins, His grace abounds and He wipes it all away. God's grace is only achieved through repentance. And then lastly, judgment is a guarantee for all who don't follow God. Nebuchadnezzar restored, Belshazzar killed, and his kingdom taken away that very night. But the Bible had already prophesied that this would happen. Isaiah 21 and Jeremiah 51 both prophesied about the fall of Babylon. In fact, God had already said Babylon was going to fall in chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the the statue with the head of gold and the, the arms and chest of silver, the torso of bronze and the legs of iron and the, the feet mingled with iron and clay. That sequence there, he had already said Babylon's not going to last forever. There is coming an end. And with King Saul, as I mentioned, when he refused to repent, God said, I'm taking your kingdom away. There is coming a day. When everyone's time will run out. Acts 17.30 Paul preaching on Mars Hill at the Areopagus trying to explain to them the unknown God. He said, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. There is coming a day when there will be no more time and no more opportunity to repent. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, 
It's not an uplifting, happy message. And so I, to be honest with you, I would have rather not preached it. But I felt like it's what the Lord wanted me to do. And it didn't help me this week that I'm listening to a podcast and guy referencing somebody leaving his church said, you know, when I, when I go to that other church, boy, those messages, they're just so much more happy over there. Because they weren't really preaching the word of God. So it didn't help me thinking about this. Because I'd rather you leave going, oh yeah, that was great. Instead of, oh my. Let me tell you one more story. I, I was raised in in church. Been in church all my life. Received the Holy Ghost and was baptized at the age of 11. But the church I attended, it was a really large church for the day. A lot of people that I was raised with that were raised to serve God and to know God. They, many of them, if not most of them, my generation and my brother's generation, who's three years older, they walked away from God in various pieces and various times and in various ways. Some of them dying in accidents because they were high or, or drunk. Two or three of them ending up in prison. And these were close friends. Not just people that might have went there. These were people I was raised with people that I have pictures with when I was five and we're hanging out playing in the mud holes together. One of those guys, he was two years older than me, maybe a year younger than my older brother, would come to church he lived at home. He didn't have any options. He had to come to church. His parents were making him. He would come to church on Sunday morning. We had Sunday night church. He would come to church Sunday night. And then he and his other group of friends would go out and smoke marijuana. And we played on a softball team together. 
we travel to tournaments and it got to the point where Saturday morning we weren't sure that he was going to make it and if he came what kind of hangover he would have or And this is all before he was 18. One Sunday night, I watched him walk to the altar. And, of course, altar, we get the name altar from, of course, the Bible words for altar. And then Charles Finney made the mourner's bench famous in the late to mid-1700s and People would come to the altar bench and they would repent and cry out to God. And Then as we got more sophisticated, we got rid of the benches, but we still call it the altar, which means anything between the front row and the platform. I was sitting in, the, in the, what would be the equivalent to this section here, a large sanctuary, much larger than this, and he came over to the altar area right over here. And I saw him praying. I didn't think anything about it. My dad went over and prayed with him. And as he, he did, he told me later that night, he said that the Lord spoke to him and said it's too late. When he got there, this guy grabbed him by the coat. He was crying. And he said, I can't feel God. A young man who had been serving God through his growing up years, who would go out and party and then he would come back in every month even though he was there all the time and he'd, he'd pray through and he'd repent and tell God he was sorry and he said I can't feel God judgment is a guarantee for everyone who doesn't follow Jesus Christ. So my admonition to you today is this. Understand that today is the day of salvation. That today is the day to make sure that you and I are right with God. Today is the day to take our next step in our journey of faith. That journey of faith is, of course, believing Him and choosing, making a decision to follow Him. It involves repentance and turning from our sin and walking in His way. If you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you can do that today. Receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And if you've done all of that or you're not sure you're ready to do some of that, 
dedicate yourself to a new level of relationship with Jesus. So as you stand together with me, let's stand together. Here's what I would like you to do. Ask God to search your heart and reveal anything you need to add or remove. If there's anything in your life that He wants you to get rid of, ask Him to reveal that to you today. If there's anything He wants you to put in your life, would you ask Him to reveal that to you today? Judgment is a guarantee unless you follow Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes right now? Father, I pray the power of your Spirit Lord, that I feel in this room today. It is, Lord, your presence and your power that comes when your word is preached and when you are exalted and when you are lifted up. God, I pray today that your spirit would move upon every heart. Lord, not just those that are here in the room, Lord, but those that are watching or will watch, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, your presence and power would reach down and touch them today as well. God, it is your desire that we would all come to you. It is not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, I just looking around this congregation today, I from what I know, Lord, they are living a life of repentance and have made the decision, most of them, Lord, to follow after you. But I pray that you would take us to a new level of relationship with you today, a new level of commitment with you. Let the power of your Spirit, Lord, work in us. Let the power of your Spirit work in us. Would you lift your hands, your voices right now to the Lord and would you talk to Him?